morning. Today's scripture reading is from James. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Well, we're in James, so I hope you didn't come for another feel-good sermon. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, sometimes we need encouragement, and sometimes we need a spanking. Whichever is needed by each person here, may we receive it, because we know whatever you send to us, it's in love. And so help us to deal with these strong words and to find the encouragement in them, We yield to you, we yield to your word, we yield to your Holy Spirit. Speak through my words. We give you this time in Jesus' name, through your Holy Spirit, amen. Dangerous desires, be careful what you desire. A lady wrote, I read this a few years ago, that her husband had been promoted to a newly created position at his company. And he was pretty excited, but they hadn't given it a title yet. And so he came home one day and she said, so you did, you get your title? Yeah. He goes, what? Did you like the job? Yes, I like the job. So what's wrong with the title? So he whipped out his business card and handed it to her. And she grabbed it with her thumb there and she read, Director of Product Efficiency. He says, well, that sounds pretty good. And then he said, move your thumb, (laughs) D-O-P-E, dope. (laughs) Sometimes when we get what we want, we find we don't want it, do we? Now, I hope he liked the job, even if he didn't like the acronym for it. But it does tell us that we do need to be diligent And we do need to be careful about the things we want. How many times have we gotten things we want and they didn't satisfy? How many times have we gotten our way and yet we had to use methods that made us feel dirty in the end? We're going to look first at the problems with our dangerous desires. And there are problems that caused it, and this is the root, the desires, but the problems that were in the church that James was writing to, number one was conflict. Conflict. He talks quite a bit about this. A lot of the theme is about this. James wants us to hold on to truth, but he wants us to hold on to a truth in a way that's loving and gracious and remembers that we all get out of line at times. And so we cannot be judgmental. And so he asks us, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And by the way, this is here not talking about an internal conflict. In a bit, we will talk about some internal things. But in English, whenever we say you, we don't know if it's singular or plural, do we? But in Greek, we do. And this is plural. And so what he's asking is, What is it that causes conflict among you all? We've got to get Southern to get a plural. 
among all of you? What happens in your families? What happens in your businesses? What happens in your church? Why are you fighting so much? And so that's one of the problems that comes from desires that are not oriented toward the good things that God has designed for us. You see, this passage doesn't talk about it, but the Bible talks often about getting our desires in line with God. In the Psalms and the Proverbs, it tells us that God will give us the desires of our heart if they're in alignment with what he wants us to desire. And so the whole issue is sloughing off the wrong desires and finding the things that God has designed for us. And if we find the things that God has designed for us and we desire them and we go after them, we will be satisfied. But if we don't, our desires can cause conflict. You know there's unity in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see this in... Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, right before he was going to go to the cross. And he's talking about the people, his followers, and those who would follow him, us today. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Ooh, wow. The world will know that God is in us because of our unity, because we solve our problems. We come to a place of healing, and they will say, that's not natural, and I want what you have. And sometimes the church and families fall, for sure, fall far short of this, but this is what is potential. Paul writes about this as well as James. Therefore, as God's, this is Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And so if we are desiring to become like Jesus, if we're desiring the heart of God, we will be pursuing unity. We won't be getting rid of truth and doing that, but we'll be doing it graciously. And they're saying, if you have conflicts, you don't understand the basics of the gospel. Or should we say, if you have too many conflicts or you have unresolved conflicts, because these things are made to be solved. The only reason we should have conflict if someone disagrees over something profound and we try and we try graciously to resolve it and yet they remain resolute. But that is the only time. And so one of the problems, one of the signs that their desires are off is that they were arguing too much. And I don't know about you, but when I argue, I want to win. And I want you to lose. I want to win logically. I want to win emotionally. I want to win it all. 
It's very selfish. I have to work at pursuing unity when we disagree and looking at maybe I'm wrong. Foreign concept, isn't it? But it's so important. Conflict. One of the other problems that shows that there is a problem with our desires is emptiness. Verse 2, you cannot get what you want, and later on you do not have, and yes, the Rolling Stones are going through my head now. I can't, can't get no satisfaction. Okay. Um, or I ain't got not, but that's, my mother told me not to talk like that. We try to fulfill our desires, and the more we get what we're aiming at, and we say that, if I just have that, that great shiny car, then I'll be happy. Then we get it, and we're not happy. And uh, that woman, get that woman, and she'll make my life happy. (laughs) That's not the way it works, by the way. If you have a happy life and you get the right woman, then she can add fuel to the fire of your joy, but she can't create it. We get it, and then we're not satisfied. And we said, man, all I do is fight. That's not what I was in for. We have all these things that we want, and we get them, and then they're just hollow. You cannot get what you want, and you're not bringing God into it, we're told. We're not asking God, or we're asking for selfish reasons, and we'll get into that in a bit. But there's this emptiness. You cannot get what you want. The true sign that I am going after wrong desires is when I get it and I get it and I get it, it doesn't satisfy. And it's so elusive I can never catch it because God has designed it so that we can catch the good desires and we can have things that satisfy us. God will give us the desires of our heart if our heart is aligned with him. And so if we're always unsatisfied, we're chasing after the wrong desires. We haven't done a tune-up, and something's mishitting in our lives. Now, I can't preach at you about this. I remember times when this was so big. You know, I used to play volleyball. I played some pro beach stuff. I was invited to try out for the Olympics, but went to seminary instead for six-man. That's before they had beach in the Olympics. And uh, I was still at Trinity, and, uh, and I was in seminary my last year, and they decided to start a college volleyball team, and I had only used two years varsity um, college um, eligibility, so I played on the team there. And they wrote up this whole thing. At the end of the year, one of the best players on the Trinity team, and I got to tell you, this is very sinful. That rotted in my craw. I still have that, by the way. One of the best players on the team, Bill Culbertson, You want to know why it bothered me? And this does not sound very good. Because I had in my hands the MVP of the Mid-America Conference NCAA Division I. That's not one of the best players on the team. They didn't even say that. And it really bugged me. Why didn't they say MVP, Mid-America Conference, NCAA? Oh, boy, that was about me, wasn't it? And I read the understatement, and it bugged me. And then it bugged me that it bugged me. And it said, what is wrong with me? Why am I playing volleyball? I thought I just loved hitting that ball hard. I loved getting together and playing with other people. When did it turn into something where I had to be the best? 
And I realized I'd caught some type of disease along the way. Because the way, reason I played is because I loved it. And it was problematic. Then I went to become a pastor, and I was a church planter, and I was mentoring people. I got a TV show on Turner Broadcasting that was broadcast out of Canada because I was up in North Dakota, and it had a 1,000-mile radius over one of those million-watt stations in Canada. And I got these letters telling me how good I was, and I started to believe it. I got offers from churches of 10,000 people, and I didn't like who I was becoming. So I went to a little farm church, and after that, I went to an urban ministry. You want to know why? Because I didn't trust myself. I didn't like that I had an allure of being important. You see, I had people that spoke into my lives. I had really good mentors in my grandfather and father, and I just knew that was wrong. If I'd go that way, I would train wreck not only myself, but the people that where I'm trying to lead. This is hard stuff, is it not? Waiting through our desires, and you're sitting here preaching the gospel. Can you really preach the gospel out of a twisted desire? Yes, I could. Okay? I'll just admit that. So it's problematic. It does go to our motives. We have to preach the gospel because we love God and we love people. Period. That's where it starts. That's where it stops. Otherwise, we're empty. We gain things, and it's hollow. It's hollow. The next problem is unanswered prayer. Now, there's a lot of reasons in Scripture that we see unanswered prayer. Um, this is not the only reason. They say because you don't ask God, and, and uh, what I think that means is you're not really asking God. I don't think pr- people are praying to a different God. This is the church he's um, writing to. Um, sometimes we think of God as Santa Claus, and we're sending him our list. And we're really not asking God when we're giving him our wish list. We're not having a dialogue. Um, Every once in a while, my wife will tell me that we're having a one-way conversation, that I'm talking and I'm not listening. Any of you ever get that? Sometimes my prayers are like that. You're not really asking and then listening to God and letting him fine-tune your prayers. And so you're not really asking. Or it talks about here about wrong motives, and we'll get to that in a bit. But there's unanswered prayer. Unanswered prayer is always a sign that something's wrong. And if we're pursuing selfish and personal desires, God is really not there ready to help you. I maybe told you this story before, but we were working, Sandra and I, when we were in seminary for developmentally delayed adults. And uh, one man went to his church and came back with a poster he had made at church. And he was supposed to, it was a prosperity gospel church. He was supposed to put together all the things that he was trusting God to give him. First off, it was obscene. It had naked women all over it. Multiple naked women over it. And then they had cars that started above a million dollars. And a huge mansion on Lake Michigan and that rich area, you know, just to the west of us. We were in Evanston there. And all these things like that. For a man that had fetal alcohol syndrome, 
and was never going to have the potential to get any of these. And they had him pray over that and said, if you believe, you will have them. Well, first off, I think those looked a little selfish to me. I don't think they're very pure. And because he was developmentally delayed, it was just raw and out there. And I looked at that and I was frustrated by it. And I said, boy, sometimes that's me. Maybe not so raw as he did, but that's me. Going after things that will satisfy me. We ask with the wrong motives. Unanswered prayer is a sign that our desires may be out of line with God. The next point I want to make is this is a very important subject. We take our cue from James himself as he writes it. It's because he uses these strong words and indeed hyperbole, which is purposeful overstatement, which means I do not think that the church to which James was writing was actually killing people, okay? Um, He was picking up on what Jesus said, um, to hate your brother is the same as murder, To look after a woman, to lust for her is the same as adultery. And he's picking up on that same hyperbole that Jesus said, if your right eye caused you to stumble, it would be better to pluck it out and throw it away than to go into hell of fire, which it can't. That's an impossible condition. Or if your hand caused you to cut it off to stumble. He's using this hyperbole, which is very common in their day. Not as common now, but we still do use uh, hyperbole. I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Could you really? Okay. That's hyperbole, right? Um, I know in Japan they eat it, but you know, I've ridden too many horses and like horses, so I wouldn't eat them. And uh, number two, they're pretty big and even for my appetite. And so they're using this hyperbole and they're using these strong words Notice we already mentioned fights and quarrels. Do you realize that these are the words you normally use for war? He's not using the words that you normally use for an argument with your wife, okay? He's using the words that you'd have to engage in warfare with another country. So he's using stronger words than you'd expect here. And then he goes on, your desires that battle within you, okay, that And now this is you and out there, but your desires, this is an internal conflict as well. You kill, you covet, you quarrel, you fight. And what he's saying is the things that you're doing with your arguments, the things you're doing with your jealousy, the things you're doing result if you let them grow. This is the seed that ends up with murder. We have to understand that, that the seeds we plant of hatred do grow into murder. The seeds of jealousy, just one little simple thing, can grow into thievery, can it not? If you take that jealousy and you pot it, and you water it, and you fertilize it, and you care for it, and you nurture it, and you suck on it, it'll grow into nasty thing. And they say it's a great green monster, isn't it? And so he's talking about, do you realize that you're adapting the lower forms of things that grow into monstrous things? You really want to stay away from those seeds. You don't want to plant them. I had a friend that planted a bamboo border. 
He did not realize that bamboo um, spreads through the roots laterally. And it was just one little line of bamboo that was supposed to, he said, ooh, it'll grow in Minnesota even. Bamboo doesn't have to just grow in the tropics. Well, soon everyone on his block had a problem with bamboo. (laughs) It is prolific in growing. And yes, it's a great privacy fence. It's great privacy from you in your backyard. We have to be careful what we plant. We have to be careful the seeds we choose. And so choose the pure ones because the things you nurture will grow up. And so he's telling us this is an important subject even if you haven't gone down the, the way. We get lost in routine sometimes and we think that small things are negligible, but they're not. We want to catch our sins small before they grow up big. We want to treat them as heinous when they are small, recognizing they will grow into a monster. I still remember in middle school, we were uh, doing a vocab test and the fire alarm went off. And the teacher said, that's okay, it's just a drill. As long as we're not the last ones out, we won't be in trouble. So we were finishing up our vocab test. And she was right. We were not the last ones out. You know, the science be will take forever. Um, I think that sort of defeats the purpose. And I know that she had probably been announced at 2.15 or something like that. There's going to be a fire drill. But what if there actually was a fire at 2.15? Then that's really bad advice. But then the smoke could overcome you and you could be dead. And so don't get into a routine. We have to be vigilant to say, God, I want to be like you. I don't want the beginning of these seeds coming. I want to pluck them out. And he's saying, you're nurturing the wrong things and they're causing division and this will get worse and worse. We also see the third point, the cause, and we've been mentioning this as we went through, but we want to call it out by itself. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? In these three verses, there are three different times a word for desire occurs. Two different Greek words. The one is the one that we get hedonism from, and it's for pleasure or the desire for pleasure. And so the way we use hedonism, it's really unchanged over thousands of years. A lot of times they change, but that's what it is. The other one is for impulsive, desirous, self-seeking, me first. And so three times we have word for desire in this time, and we are diagnosed as the cause of all these other problems, the conflict, the emptiness, the lack of answered prayers. It's really a problem because we desire the wrong things. And as we said, desires are not all bad. God gave you your emotions. But when we use words like this that are pleasure, that is me versus you, when it's words like self-seeking, and impulsive, not well thought out, it's problematic. You see this internal struggle, it's internal within us, it's internal within our family, it's internal within our churches and work areas, 
we are not supposed to blame the world. The problem comes from within us. You understand that? And so, yes, there's negative influences around your family, but he said, don't just start blaming the culture. This is from us. It doesn't have to come from the outside. We've already talked about how Satan can speak into you just a few verses ago. But he says, you have plenty of problems with your own desires, your selfishness internally. This is an old story, maybe so old that some of you haven't heard it. You've heard this story. uh, I'll read it to you. This is a story, well, as long as I don't tip my screen wrong. This is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Some of you are shaking your heads. You've heard it. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did. Somebody got angry about this because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Cute little poem, isn't it? It's within us. And so we have to admit that, yes, we have the whole... Once, once we admit that we are sinners, once we believe that Jesus stood in our place, that he came into this world in love, once we accept that the Holy Spirit of the living God comes within us, let us not underestimate that. But let us also realize that we still have selfish desires. And we have to let the Holy Spirit into those areas. And we have to remain vigilant. And he's arguing for people to purify their desires, lift them up to God. And he wants us to realize that if we put aside selfish desires and replace them with pure ones, it will make everyone around us and ourselves happy. So we see repetitive words for desire, the internal struggle. Then we also see evil motives in verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Actually translated, um, you ask wickedly. Oh, that makes it softer, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes, it amounts to wrong motives. Um, But you ask pervertedly. Now, perverted means to be changed from original form, right? Twisted or bent. Anyone here want a bent axle? Yeah, you do not want a bent axle. Um, I had a wagon that had that as a kid, you know, the bent like this, whoomp, whoomp. It's like a bumpy ride when you rode it. You couldn't put anything you didn't want to fall out because just pulling it would whoomp, whoomp. And God has designed everything good. He made the world, he declared it all good. He made mankind, he declared it very good. But it is the wicked, the twisted, the bent motives. And we ask without thinking about whether it's the right way to ask. We have to be careful, though, because sometimes we want to put evil motives on other people. Sometimes his blaming does that. Um, I remember years ago, it was at least 20-some years ago, if not 30, there's an article in Christianity Today that was exposing Chuck Swindoll, who was then the most listened-to person in the world because of his radio program. He happened to be a free church pastor of our largest church back then, 
and they're exposing him for having an exorbitant salary and having bought a fantastic mountain property in California, or it may have been further up the coast in Oregon or Washington. But anyway, um, they're exposing all this. Well, the next month, there was a lengthy retraction because what happened is Chuck Swindoll got an ordinary salary, an ordinary salary for a church like this, not a church of 6,000, an ordinary salary for somebody um, who had a church like this instead of a radio ministry that had millions of people, tens of millions of people listening every day. Um, it was his book royalties, and what he built was a retreat center so that his church and other people could use it. He used his own money to build a retreat center. And so this is where I have to be careful because I'm not weighing your motives. If I'm weighing your motives, I'm putting my arm around you and I'm helping you think it through. But you see the problem when we do this? Even in this, we want to blame the other person. And what they had uncovered is extreme generosity where a guy who wrote like three books a year made all kinds of money and he decided to give it back to the kingdom. Be careful with motives. Sometimes we can have wrong motives and we think they're pure. Sometimes somebody can have good motives and we are judging them. Okay? Be careful with that. But you do need to look at motives. My motives I look at. Your motives you look at. Invite somebody else in, that's fine. But start judging, uh, no, not so much. Final point. Well, I guess we have one more sub-point under three. The cause, dangerous desires. I want you to look at the slide here on these sides here. I have taken out all the other words in verses one through three, <laughs> except for you or your. Take a look at that. Um, I think we're getting a picture of selfishness there, aren't we? The problem with these desires is it's me, about me, about me, about me, about me. And so when James is nailing me here, you do this, your way, everything like that. When you take it out, it just is really striking. So at the root of the dangerous desires is me first. You know, sometimes I have a sore neck or lower back and it's just sort of, wish Sandra could rub it, and she does sometimes, um, but with her arthritis, it's hard to do much. You know what I've given to doing because it used to get frustrated with that? Um, I've found that there's never a time when her neck and shoulders don't need to be rubbed. Whenever I feel my neck like that, instead of complaining about that, by the way, I've told you some bad stories about me, so I might as well tell a good one. Whenever I feel like that, I reach over and I rub her neck and her shoulders. I'm thinking about where the knots are in me, and then I'm feeling her, and, well, hers are in a little different place. And it's funny that uh, when I'm done doing that, I feel better about life than if she would have rubbed my neck. I may not be as relaxed. But how is it that being selfless makes you feel good? And getting my way makes me not feel good. I need to apply this to other areas of life and learn this more. We need to figure this out. It's not about me. And you, your stomach doesn't growl when I'm hungry. Well, because if it is, now you're doing it. And you don't shiver when I'm cold. Well, I just don't get cold or warm that easy. That's one of the nice things of autism. I'm sort of out of touch with my body. But you, you understand you're not 
sensing what I need. And so we have to be careful and prudent to look for needs in other people because you can feel your own needs, right? If we are going to go on this, we have to listen to the Holy Spirit. And we have to be deliberate at saying, I'm here for other people. And by the way, you try this on, it's amazing. You start giving a life of service and others first, it will transform the way you feel and think about yourself. Final point now, the solution. We have to jump to verse four. And I know we have another passage that we're going to go over next week. But this is a solution for this and for next week, okay? And so we want to stay within the context. And so this is going to be the solution next week as well. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so the solution to all of this is, number one, recognizing the problem. Um, Just sort of recognizing that uh, if I take my hand off the wheel, I'm going to go in the ditch. You ever play the game? I was driving down to visit then my fiance. Um, She was in Trinidad, Colorado. That's south of Pueblo. I was up in Boulder. You have so much road with nothing on that road. And I had my little MGB. And the grooves in the road, it would just follow the curves. And I went eight miles, seeing how long I could not touch the wheel. Because I just got in my tires replaced, I just got the alignment fixed. You know what I know about this car? I let go of the wheel and I'm off in the ditch like that. Okay? Okay, my MGB may have tracked perfectly. I do not track perfectly. That's the first thing. I will tend toward selfishness, and I recognize that about me. If I do not consciously yield to the Holy Spirit, if I do not admit that I tend toward that, that is what will happen. I have the ability to have the Holy Spirit empower me and transform me into something vastly different, and I have seen amazing changes in my life. Talk to my family. They're surprised too, (laughs) happily surprised. So aim high because the spirit is in us and don't concede the battle. Go to God and say, God, I want your way. The same power that you used to save me and declare me a saint when I was a sinner, I want that to transform me. And then, when you're submitted to God, you can resist the devil. Don't try and do this without God. The devil is more powerful than you, but he is not more powerful than the Holy Spirit in you. That's why Jesus said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He didn't say, you are greater than the devil. He said, greater is he that is in you than the one that's in the world. And so then we resist, and there's power. If you try and do it by yourself, there is no power or habits They will get us. But if we do it God's way by submitting to God and when we surround ourselves with other people and we follow the scripture to say confess our sins to one another in the small groups that we have, then it will work. This is not just something that James mentions. First John, John writes 2.17, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Okay, so all the desires of self will disappear. But anything we do for God remains. Um, Paul in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee the evil desires of youth, uh, Timothy was young, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, 
along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Pursue. Flee one, pursue the other. This is like submit to God, resist the devil, only in reverse order. Um, Jesus in John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Okay, if Jesus came into this world not to do his will, but the will of the Father and his mission, I have no excuse. And that is my example. So what are we going to do with this? Let's add it up. Three suggestions. Bring your own. But here's things you can do. Think of a selfish desire that regularly tempts you. Think of one thing that's hard for you. Share it with a friend. Pray together. It will be replaced by God's desire. Let's just spend some time with those things. Admit the things that you have that are hard. Maybe it is with our tongues that uh, we want to use our wit to hurt instead of to help. Secondly, start each day this week by giving your whole day to God. I've done this for years because somebody taught me this when I was a teenager is to wake up in the morning and say, God, this is your day. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Whatever I do, I want to do it for you. Then you finish the day and say, okay, how did I do? Ouch. Um, I've learned sometimes to try and do it sooner because there's a lot of stuff that gets in the way. But uh, that's a good practice. Um, It's been a part of recognizing that I want to be transformed and getting, yielding to the power of God. Finally, think of a good desire that God has placed in your heart. We're trying to replace these selfish desires with good ones. What is something you know is of God? You can find it in scripture. Um, Do something specific to fulfill this desire. Maybe you have a desire for people to be saved. Then do something specific to share the gospel. Send some money to a missionary. Go out there and uh, call up an old friend and tell him your story. But do something that is a true desire to try and replace and purposely use it to replace what God has done. What's most important is that we know Jesus. But then it's also important once we have our sins forgiven, once we're made children of God, to model what Christians are because the way we get the story out there is by our mouths when we share the gospel, but by our lives when we are incrementally transformed. I had a friend, he's now a pastor, that ran with a gang. When he came to Christ, they ridiculed him. Eventually, every single one of them came to Christ because they saw his transformation. That's what we want. Not running with the gangs. Transformation that gives us an opportunity to say, It's all because of Jesus.